Good morning, everyone. My name is Jamie. I'm the lead pastor here at Ebenezer, and I just want to take a moment to also welcome you all for being here this morning. And it's my privilege to introduce to you guys uh, again Dr. Levi Skipper. As you know, he came uh, during the interim time and shared with you. Uh, he is the lead strategist in church strengthening for the Georgia Mission Board, uh, uh, <coughs> Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And uh, I had the opportunity to serve with him a couple of years at Concord. And as I shared with uh, the other group of folks this morning, uh, Levi came into my life at a time when I didn't really have a, ho- a lot of hope in myself and saw something unique and special. And I was able to go and and receive a lot from Levi, some leadership. Um, but I'm excited that he's here today to be able to share with us. So will you guys let Levi know how much we appreciate right, being here thanks, today? <laughs> appreciate that, buddy. Well, I am grateful to be here with you again this morning. And you guys are blessed uh, to have Jamie. Aren't y'all grateful to have Pastor Jamie here with you now? Y'all let him know. And uh, everything good about him uh, came from me. Everything bad about him is from his wife. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Settle down, people. Y'all are protective. I can already tell. I love it, man. So y'all are big fans of him, and I know you should be, right? God's blessed y'all with him. And uh, just a quick little update. So uh, if you don't know me, I do serve at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And really my role, I lead a team all across the state. And what we do is come alongside churches uh, about 3,400 of them to try to help strengthen them to advance the gospel of Jesus. And uh, that's why we're excited about what God's doing in the life of Ebenezer. Uh, super excited about the new faces that I see. In fact, some of you I've not met before, so I'd love to uh, kind of just figure out what your name is, right? So on the count of three, if you just tell me your name out loud, let's just everybody do that. And I feel like we all know each other, and then we'll dive right into this Bible study. So one, two, three. All right. I, I didn't catch any of those, but I am grateful that you're here today. And, uh, you know, it's kind of interesting, uh, before we jump into this text, we probably have some things in common, especially if you were like me growing up in school, right? There were, there were always these times a teacher could walk into the classroom and the teacher could say two words. And uh, as soon as those two words kind of exited her mouth, I immediately got nervous, anxiety filled, palms got sweaty, right? And I would look around the classroom as soon as the teacher would say these two words, and I would see fear and anxiety in everybody else's heart and mind as well. Anybody have any guess what those two words might be? Yeah, pop quiz. You're exact. Y'all are so much smarter than the first service. So anyway, pop quiz is exactly right. Uh, it's interesting, right? In preparation for our time together this morning, I actually discovered that if you go to school from first grade all the way till you're a senior in high school and you graduate, you take somewhere in the neighborhood of 60 standardized tests. But that doesn't include all the extra tests, nor does that include all of the pop quizzes. So I did a little arithmetic for us to kind of give you a flavor of how many pop quizzes and tests that you take from first grade until you graduate as a senior in high school. And according to my calculations, it adds up to be around somewhere like 3.1 million tests. Are y'all listening? That's basically what it looks like. It's just ridiculous. Now, imagine my surprise, right, when I came to realize that I serve a pop quiz God. A God who, on a regular basis, gives out quizzes to me, test to you. As a matter of fact, it's quite interesting when you begin to consider it because I have this negative connotation when it comes to test and pop quizzes when I was in school. But I have to have this mental paradigm shift according to the New Testament when it comes to tests that God actually gives out. And that shift takes place whenever I read uh, really what the half-brother of Jesus said. He says, consider it all joy, my brother, when you face various trials. 
knowing that the, listen, testing of your faith produces endurance. So the reality is, James says, you and I have to calculate it to be true in our hearts that when we have tests from the Lord, that God is up to something. So what is God doing with tests in your life? What is he doing with tests in my life? Well, in a sentence, very shortly, it's like this. Uh, God's tests are designed to show us his character and to strengthen our faith. To show us his character and to strengthen our faith. And I'm so glad that you came to church this morning because today you and I are going to have a front row seat in John's Gospel, chapter 6, to a test that Jesus gave his disciples. And what you and I are going to have the opportunity to see really is how Jesus gives us tests and then how we should respond to those tests. In fact, I would venture to say that there are some of you this morning, you are in the middle of a test in your Christian journey and you don't even know it. And so God, by his sovereign hand, brought you to church on purpose because he wanted to talk to you. So with that in mind, John's Gospel, chapter 6, we're just going to do a little Bible study together today and really ask a simple question of this text, and that is, what does this text teach us about tests that come from God? So with that in mind, John, chapter 6, if you'll just stand with me in honor of God's word this morning, and you got it there in front of you, say amen. So the Bible says, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Now eyeball to eyeball just very quickly. The Passover was this celebration that the Jewish people celebrated every single year. And what they were doing is they were really recounting what God had done with Israel in the days gone by. The primary purpose of that celebration really was to remind themselves of how God rescued them out of Egyptians' bondage. As a matter of fact, when you think about the Passover, uh, that word is very important because a specific event that took place right prior to them being rescued from Egyptians' bondage was God sending death to the Egyptians' camp to all of the firstborn sons. And so what God said to Israel is he said, listen, death is coming to everybody. So what you need to do is you need to take a lamb, you need to sacrifice that lamb, take the blood of that lamb, place it over the doorpost of your home, and when death goes through, wherever death sees the blood, death will pass over that home. And so that's what they are celebrating, God's miraculous Passover. But if you grew up in church, you know that that was actually a foreshadowing of the true Passover lamb who was Jesus. That Jesus Christ would come to rescue us from our sin. And how did he do that? By dying the death that we deserve. Jesus died on the cross, he was buried, then he was resurrected. And when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's as if God the Father takes the blood of Jesus, place it over the doorpost of your heart, and when death comes through, it will pass over you. Well, come on, somebody, I'm preaching up here. Did y'all see it happening? It's absolutely huge. Now, that's not what I'm preaching on this morning, but that's good preaching. Isn't it? I just love the Bible. So anyway, uh, verse 5. I'm also going to have you stand up this whole sermon. This is fun. <laughs> verse 5. Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying, what does your Bible say? Say it out loud. To test him, well, there's the test, right? The pop quiz. He himself, that is Jesus, knew what he was intending to do. Now, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, 
There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? So Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down to the number of about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. So they gathered up them, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. So let's bow together. Father, thank you for an opportunity once again just to open up your word and have a Bible study. God, I'm grateful that your word uh, promises to never return void and that your word washes us clean and your word is the primary way in which you speak to our hearts. So we ask in the name of Jesus this morning that you would take the word of God, plant it deep within our souls that it might transform us. God, would you open eyes to the test that you are giving to your children even this morning that they might grow as a result of it and see an attribute of you that perhaps they have not yet seen. And God, we trust that you'll work today, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray, and everybody said, amen, amen. So you can be seated right there where you are. So again, key question if you're a note taker, what does this text teach you and I about test as followers of Jesus? And uh, just a few things that kind of rise to the surface from the text. But the first is this, jot it down. God's tests are revealed in our desperate situations. God's tests are revealed in our desperate situations. Look with me at verse 5. The scripture again says, Jesus lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Now, this particular event that we read about in John's gospel is actually recorded for us in all four of the gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke also record the event of the feeding of the 5,000. In fact, if you have an opportunity to study this in the days uh, in the future, I would encourage you to get all four accounts and put them in front of you and read them all together because it gives you this panoramic view of what's taking place in the life and ministry of Jesus as well as how the disciples responded to this desperate situation. For example, Matthew says it this way. When it was evening, the disciples came to Jesus and they said, this place is desolate and the hour is already late. Send the crowds away that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So the disciples came to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they described this particular area in which they found themselves as desolate. That is to say it was isolated. It was uninhabited. It was an empty area. In other words, there was no golden corral in sight. All right? So it's just a completely desolate place. And then they said the hour has already passed. And really what they're doing is they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, look, the time frame you know, for which people normally eat supper is already passed. So these people are hungry, there's no doubt, but we don't have any way to take care of them, so we need to send them away. Now, what's interesting, because they were concerned about how Jesus really would be perceived in this particular moment. And the reason they were concerned about this is because Jesus would have been seen as the host of this particular event. So you've got all these 5,000 men plus the women and the children. They've all gathered together that they might listen to Jesus speak. And as a result of being the host, he should be taking care of the needs of all the people. So they know that it's getting late. They don't have any food. So they're like, Jesus, just send them all away. So we don't have egg on our face in this particular scenario. 
Matter of fact, Philip says, where are we supposed to buy bread so that all these may eat? So this was a desperate situation, listen closely, for which Philip did not have a ready solution. But remember, God's tests are revealed in our desperate situations. So how do you spot a test in your own life from the Lord? You're a follower of Jesus this morning. How do you know when God is giving you a pop quiz? Well, it really is pretty simple. When you survey your particular situation and you realize you do not have the means to fix it, that is a test from the Lord. That's a pop quiz directly from God. For example, I could ask you this morning, what is God asking you to do that you don't have the ability to do? Well, that's, that would be a test. Is God asking you to serve in an area of ministry in this local church? And you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't have the ability to do that. Well, listen, that's a test from the Lord. Or perhaps this morning you could say the Lord is calling you to forgive somebody that has wronged you in the past. And you're thinking, I don't have the ability to do that. That's a test from the Lord. Or maybe the Lord is calling you to give sacrificially to God's kingdom work. Or maybe he's calling you to leave your current job and take another. Or maybe he's calling you to walk away from an ungodly relationship. Or turn away from a particular sin that has so easily beset you in this life. All of these are tests from God. As a matter of fact, a test can show up in your relationships. A test can show up in your vocation where you work. A test can show up in your local church right here. A test can show up in your finances. A test can show up in your life where if you will open your eyes and see you don't have the means to fix it, you'll recognize it as God's test directly to you. Which leads me now to point number two. Jot this down. Our response reveals our level of faith. Our response to the Lord in our test reveals our level of faith. Look with me at verse 7. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. So think about this. The very first thing that Philip did in this desperate situation was math. So what did he do? Well, he noted to Jesus that 200 denarii, which would have equaled over a half a year's wages, would not be sufficient funds to buy enough food to feed the 5,000 hungry men, not to mention the women and the children. But you'll also notice in this text, and I find this interesting, that in Philip's mathematical equation, listen closely, he completely forgot to factor in God. One commentator says it this way, Philip was a man of figures. He believed in what could be put into tables and statistics. Yes, and like a great man and many other people of his sort, he left out one huge element in his calculation, and that was Jesus the Christ. And so his answer went creeping along at low levels of faith. He didn't factor in God. Let me ask you, how often do we forget to factor in God? You have a desperate situation in your life. I have a desperate situation in my life. If there is a test, it is directly from the Lord. It is a pop quiz from God. And how we respond reveals our level of faith. The reality is, I don't know about you, but oftentimes I'm tempted to actually trust in my own human understanding instead of really trusting in the divine wisdom of God in the midst of the test. I think that's why the proverb writer says this to you as well as to me. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. But that is to say, with your whole disposition, every single thing about you, rely on, be confident in God and his ability alone. Don't depend on, don't lean on, don't rely on your own intellect, insight, or skill. And then he goes on to write in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. That is to say, in the totality of your thinking and doing, throughout your Christian journey, look to, listen to, learn from, give your undivided attention to God, and he will direct your next step in life. Now, some of you came to church this morning, and you're trying to figure out, what's the next step? Like, what do I do next in this relationship? Some of you are asking the question, what do I do next in the life of Ebenezer? Uh, what's my next step in this test that I'm receiving in my vocation? Well, listen, can I tell you, God's not holding out on you this morning. Matter of fact, God is one who gives wisdom to those who cry out for it. In fact, James said it, didn't he? It's the half-brother Jesus again. And he says, do any of you lack wisdom? Just look at me eyeball to eyeball, and I'll just ask you guys the question, and y'all can answer out loud. Do any of you at Ebenezer lack wisdom? Yeah, without a doubt, right? So here's what James says. Let him ask of the Lord who gives wisdom liberally. There's not a lot of things the Lord does liberally, but he does give wisdom, amen? And what is wisdom? Wisdom is this, and I love it. Wisdom is the ability to see life's situation from God's perspective. So whatever test you have going on right now, don't lean on your own understanding, but instead call out to God and say, God, I've got to see this from your vantage point. Show me what you are up to. Give me, I don't know what my next step is, but God, I know you will provide. Share that with me. And don't move till he talks. Y'all out there? Aren't y'all glad I just come now every once in a while? <laughs> Philip's response revealed a low level of faith in Jesus. He just wasn't factoring in the Lord. And can I say this to you just straight up heart to heart? I, I have seen in my own life where I've responded to test with the low levels of faith. I've also seen this in the life of other people, as a pastor, I've seen them face tests in their life, difficult situations, whether it be relational, whether it be vocational, whatever the case may be, that scenario, it was a test from the Lord. And they responded with low levels of faith. And here's what it looks like when they do. And the reason that I share these examples with you is because you might find yourself in some of these examples. So listen closely. Some because of their situation in life, it didn't turn out as they had planned. It didn't go according to their preconceived dreams and ideas. And instead of looking to God in their test, they grew bitter towards God and bitter towards life itself. But some found themselves wallowing in self-pity, so they just kind of throw a pity party all the time. Why did God let this happen to me? Where is God? I called out. He didn't respond the way I had desired. Has he forgotten about me? Does he not love me? Self-pity. And then some, and this will break your heart, they completely walked away from God because God didn't come through the way they wanted him to in the midst of their test. Can I say this eyeball to eyeball and listen closely, right? 
Whenever you pray and you ask God to do a certain thing and he does something different, look at me eyeball to eyeball. You need to trust that that is a good and perfect gift that comes from God, and that was the best answer. Be very careful that you don't dictate to God what he ought to do in order for you to obey and love him. Be very careful as well that you don't try to take the place of God because you ain't God. Come on, somebody, look at me. Eyeball to eyeball. I'm going to say it to you again. Y'all came to church so I could tell you this this morning. You ain't God. I shook my head a little bit on it too, didn't I? It's pretty huge. A lot of people like that way, though. Be very careful. How are you responding to the desperate situation in your life this morning? In verse 8, we see one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Now, this was not a great find from Andrew, not simply because of the quantity that was found, but also because of the quality. Barley was not considered good eating. It wasn't on the same you know, level as wheat. It wasn't like Wonder Bread. Are y'all listening? So barley just wasn't that good. Matter of fact, in the Jewish writings of the Talmud, there's a passage where one man says, there's a fine crop of barley over here, and another man answered, tell that to the horses and the donkeys. Right? A barley was actually the bread choice for animals, as well as for those who were extremely poor. And the fish in this text, they're not two massive prize-winning catfish. Uh, matter of fact, the word for fish that John used actually describes more of a fish relish to be spread on bread. So like Philip, Andrew was not considering Jesus in this desperate situation. He was only magnifying how impossible feeding all of those present really was. And remember, God's tests are revealed in our desperate situation. And our response reveals our level of faith. Which leads me to point number three. Jot this one down. I like this one. God's can overrides our can't. God's can overrides our can't. Verse 10 through 11, Jesus said, Have the people sit down. And there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated, likewise also of the fish, as much as they wanted. So where the disciples in this text said, it can't be done, uh, God showed us it can be done. Not one person went away without a satisfying meal on this particular day. God's can overrides our can't. So when somebody says, I can't serve in that area of ministry, I don't have the skill set to do that. God says, I can through you. When somebody says, I can't forgive that individual, do you know what they've done to me, how they've hurt me, what they said, what they did? God says, I can forgive them through you. And when somebody says, I can't give to God's kingdom work sacrificially, I'm not, I, I'm not sure I'll have enough for myself. God says this, I can supply all of your needs according to my riches in glory. When somebody says, I can't leave that ungodly relationship, I know I shouldn't be wrapped up in it, but I'm just telling you that's where I find my identity in this life. God says, leave that relationship. I can and will be your identity. And when somebody says, I can't leave that sin, right? That sin brings some satisfaction in my life. That, that sin brings some relief in my life. That, that is my pet sin. God says, leave that sin. I'll be your satisfaction in life. Every single thing you long for in this life is found in me anyway. 
God's can overrides our can. What are you looking to God in a moment of prayer saying to Him, I can't? That's where God wants to show up. And eyeball to eyeball, just so you know, God shows grace to those who are humble. And when you humble yourself and you look to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm in this desperate situation and I can't, that's when he will show you his can. Some of you hadn't seen the can because you hadn't recognized the can't. Come on, somebody, I need to write that down. Y'all with me? I didn't say that first service. That was good for y'all. Now, just, just so we're kind of squaring on the same uh, page this morning, when I read the Old Testament and the New Testament, I'm shocked at how many miracles I see that are performed, right? And it always seems to work out so well, right? You see all of these situations in which God shows up and which Jesus, you know, God in the flesh does these miracles. Like, oh, my God, this is unbelievable. But how many of you know God doesn't always seem to work like that in your life? i kind of give you a couple of examples of this, maybe a contrast. But, you know, my, my wife and I have four children. Somebody was asking me today, how are they doing? Uh, the oldest is 20, and the other three are teenagers. That's a prayer request. If you just jot it down, you can begin to pray for me, right? That is one reason I love this job, though. I can travel, right? I just look at my wife, and I'm like, I'll pray for you, baby, as you. Y'all don't act spiritual out there like you don't want to travel. Come on, somebody, right? But when my wife was pregnant with our second Maddie, uh, she went to a routine doctor's visit. They did an x-ray. They did the ultrasound. The doctor came in and said, I hate to tell you this, but what's in the womb with Maddie is 100% certainty that she will die. You need to prepare yourself for that. You need to prepare your family for that. So my wife, obviously distraught, calls me on the phone. I'm distraught, right? There is nothing that I can do in this situation. So it's a desperate situation. What is it? It's a test from the Lord. So what am I going to do now? Well, I'm going to call out to God. And my wife is going to call out to the Lord. Our church is going to call out to the Lord. And what, do we tra- what do we say? God, would you please heal Maddie in the womb? Would you take care of this? Show yourself to be a healer. Right? So then my wife goes back to the same doctor. They do the same test. And then they put the results of that test next to the results of the previous test. And they say, I don't know what's happened. But what was there to kill her is now gone completely. What is that? It's a miracle of the Lord. Right? I didn't do that. The Lord did that. I've read about how Jesus is a healer, but how many of you know when you experience this, it's radically different? You think that bolstered my faith? Without a doubt. Can I tell you, that actually changed how I began to pray for people who were sick, too. Because I had seen the Lord heal. Come on, somebody, y'all out there? But then you contrast that, and some of you know a little bit of my story, but when I was five years old, I had an older brother named Lance. He was seven. He was diagnosed with a brain tumor. My parents took him everywhere they possibly can to find help. We prayed. God, show yourself to be a healer. We had our home church praying specifically for Lance and his healing. Had other churches in the area praying specifically for Lance and his healing. And then the Lord did not heal him. My brother died. So with that. Here I am, five years old. I just lost my best friend on the planet. He's dead. But, but we prayed. We trusted in the Lord. Everybody still with me? There are attributes that God possesses that you will not experience in this life unless God graciously allows tests. 
to come to you. The Bible not only tells me that God is a God who can heal, but it also tells me that God is a God of all comfort who binds up the brokenhearted. God showed up in my family's life through the death of my brother, just not in the way that we had anticipated nor in the way that we had prayed, but he still came alongside our family, and he comforted us with his presence. Are you all out there? Now, that's huge, right? Because that's not how we prayed, but that's how God showed up. But remember, we ain't God. We've got to trust that the Lord is doing what is perfect to accomplish His will and His glory and draw us closer to Him. Now, good news is my brother Lance is in heaven. Uh, Better news is I'm going to see him one day. I'll be like, bro, where you been? Or y'all, y'all do talk about heaven around here, don't you? Kind of get fired up about that, man. And y'all are just like, oh, all right, heaven. Yeah, man, that's where I'm going. The reason I share this with you is because I want you to know whatever test you've got going on in your life, if you can visualize it like this, there, there are a myriad of attributes that God possesses. And God wants you to get to know who he is. But many of those attributes that he possesses, you will never experience unless you suffer. You know what the Bible says? God is a God of all peace. Well, you'll never know that personally unless you face some turmoil. Again, I can say to you, God is a God of all comfort, but you won't know that unless you need some comforting. Again, God's like, I, listen, consider it joy when you face these trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. I'm doing a work in you because I want to show you more of who I am. And when you see more of who I am, you're going to have your faith strengthened. It's going to change how you live. And then check this out. It's also going to change how you pray. You don't think that I can pray now that God would comfort the hearts of those who are experiencing great loss? Of course I can. Do I believe the Lord will actually comfort them? You bet your life I do. Which leads me to point number four. I went to seminary to learn how to transition these sermons. Are y'all with me? Point number four. There's a better way to do it. I actually taught preaching one time. <laughs> Once. Y'all all right? Point number, I've already kind of tipped my hat to you, but I'll tell it to you. God's test reveal his character. Just in this passage alone, there are attributes that God reveals of himself. And here's, the, here's what I'd like to do, a little audience participation. I'm going to share some of these uh, attributes that show up in the life of this text. And if you've experienced them in your life, if you've experienced them, I just want you to say amen right where you sit. All right, everybody understand what we're doing? So here's, here's one attribute. He is a God of compassion, without a doubt. He was concerned about the hunger of the people before the people even knew they were hungry. Which, by the way, eyeball to eyeball, God knows what you need before you ever start talking. Why does he know that? Because he's a God of compassion. He knows his children. He loves them. Here's another one. He is a God of provision. Y'all were kind of quiet on that one. But he supplied to meet every need present. The people had as much as they wanted. Here's another one. He is a God of abundance. There were 12 large baskets full of barley and fish left over after they had fed everybody. 
Now, most scholars believe that the 12 baskets really were a foreshadowing of God's salvation that would begin first with the Jewish nation, the 12 tribes of Israel, and then it would go to the Gentiles. Which, by the way, aren't you glad it went to the Gentiles? Uh, if, you, if you're not Jewish, you is Gentile. Not good English, but that's good preaching right here, boy. Y'all jot that down. Y'all tweet that out. Levi Skipper said, I'm just kidding, don't do that. Number four, or not number four, but here's a, here's a fourth attribute. Uh, he's a God of grace. Uh, you say amen to that, right? Because many of you are thinking of salvation. But here's what's awesome in this text. I'm not talking about grace that saves. I'm talking about grace that empowers for service. Because the disciples, they didn't factor in God. They didn't have great levels of faith. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, come here, bring, bring that snack over here, and I'm going to feed everybody. But then, he, then he, this is what's crazy. Then he let the disciples be a part of it. They said, now you guys, y'all go hand it out. So here they are. They go out here, they hand out all the food, then they come back to Jesus. After they're running out, and they get more. They're like, where in the world is he getting all this? And then we go hand it out, and then they come back to Jesus again. And what is, what is God's grace doing? Empowering them to serve. Let's look at the preacher for just a moment. If you get to a point where you are worn out in serving the Lord, go back to the Lord, there's plenty of grace. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of grace. Now verse 14, and then I've got to shut this down. Oh, you guys go till 12, don't you? Every other Christian goes till 12. What's wrong with you people? Verse 14. When the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, Truly this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now this particular miracle that John records for us in John chapter 6 is a miracle that is designed to point to who Jesus is. But what exactly is being pointed to here? Well, okay. Now you've got to pay close attention. If you're paying attention, say, I'm paying attention. All right, because this is huge. Remember, it's Passover. They're in preparation for Passover. So what's on their minds? God's ability to rescue the children of Israel out of Egyptians' bondage. That's what they're remembering. Here's what's crazy in the Old Testament. Moses stands up to the children of Israel one day, and he says, all right, guys, listen. This is my paraphrase, but listen closely. He says, guys, uh, the Lord, I met with him, and here's what he told me. He told me that he was going to raise up someone from among our people, the Jewish people, who's going to be greater than me. And when he does that, you better pay attention to every single thing that he says. All right, so that's the prophecy. Now, Old Testament, let me remind you of what's going on with Moses and the children of Israel. They're in Egyptians' bondage, the plagues are pouring out, and then all of a sudden they are rescued by the hand of God, and they go out into, check this out, a desolate place. Over here in John chapter 6, what were they in? A desolate place. Just, just for reference, when I'm on this side, I'm in the Old Testament. When I'm on this side, I'm in the New Testament. What testament am I in? Old Testament. So here's what Moses does. He looks at the people, and the people say, Moses, you got to be kidding me. You brought us out here. We're starving. 
Matter of fact, you brought us out here, we're all going to die of starvation. We should have just went back to Egypt, there was plenty of food. We had three squares a day over there. What was wrong with all the people? They was all hungry. All right, let me go. So Moses goes to God and says, God, you're not going to believe all these complaining people. Sound like a bunch of Baptists. I like the way some of y'all went, ooh. <laughs> Settle down, I'm leaving after this, right? I'll say whatever I want to say. I'm just kidding. Here's what's crazy, right? So he says, uh, Lord, uh, all the people are complaining. I don't know what to do about this situation. You brought us all out here to die. What's going on? So God says, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, when you guys get up in the morning, you're going to have manna, bread from heaven, that will just fall right on the ground. You know what it was? Just to kind of give you, it was Krispy Kreme from Jesus just right there on the ground, right? So the next morning, what did they do? They got up and they went, they got some bread and they ate it, right? Took it for the family. Next day, same exact thing happened. What's going on in this text? Well, all of a sudden, Jesus is in a desolate situation just like Moses was. And somebody brought Jesus some leftover from Long John Silvers. Now, the disciples... They should have had, had a little meeting and said, all right, guys, come here. We need to talk, right? We're here celebrating, you know, getting prepared for Passover. One of the disciples should have said, you remember when Moses said that God was going to raise up somebody from among us who was better than him? And another disciple should have said, yeah, I remember that, man. Well, could it be we are in this desolate place just like Moses was, and, and when God rained down manna from heaven, Jesus... It's not raining down from heaven. It's just coming out of his hand. He's doing the same thing that God did. Who is this man? Could it be? I'm still a disciple in a conversation. Are y'all with me? And one of the disciples just said, could it be that this is the prophet that was promised? And then another disciple said, oh my goodness, if it is, can you imagine? Because God used Moses to lead the children out of Egyptians' bondage. What deliverance is Jesus going to take us to? And what is the deliverance? He delivers us not out of Egyptians' bondage, but out of sin's bondage. And he carries us not to just the promised land. He promises us heaven for all of eternity with him. Could it be this Jesus is not only the better prophet, but he's also the better deliverer? Old Testament? This is when you fill in the blanks here. Come on, man. I'm up here preaching. Y'all help me out. New Testament, right? Moses? I'm going to start all over if y'all don't do this thing right. Good deliverance? That's what I'm talking about, boy. Isn't that pretty amazing? God is using this test in the disciples' life to reveal to the disciples who He is. What do God's tests do? Reveal His character to us. Now, I've got to quit. I've got two more pages, but I'm going to skip one. And um, I'm going I'm to bring you to this right here. 
you would have thought the disciples would have been like, this is unbelievable. All right, we're just so fired up about this. We're going to go tell everybody about Jesus. But here's what the, are y'all with me saying yes? I keep doing this. I, I forget I have a beard. I keep thinking I got something on my face. Y'all with me? Last time you saw me, I was just, you know, clean shaven. I don't even care about myself anymore since I left you. All right, so come here. Y'all quit cutting up and listen. I'm the one. All right. Here's what Mark says took place after this concerning the disciples. Listen to Mark 6.52. The disciples had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves. What? Then the scripture says this. They hardened their hearts. When I'm looking at this, I just ask myself the question, how many times has God been at work around me and I failed to gain any insight because my heart was hardened? God's tests are designed to do what? Show us his character and strengthen our faith. Look at me, eyeball to eyeball. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the Lord is revealing an attribute to you. What is it that he's trying to show you? And are you leaning into him? Or you still trying to figure things out on your own and hardening your heart? I'd say it to you like this in closing. Don't look at me eyeball to eyeball. Some of y'all are putting your Bibles up. I ain't done preaching. Look at me eyeball to eyeball. Here it is. Don't miss God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and how it always encourages us, challenges us, opens our eyes. And Lord, I pray that that's occurred in the life of those who are present this morning. That they have now identified the test that you are giving. And Lord, they're now seeking the attribute that you are revealing so that their faith might be strengthened. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. This message is primarily for those who are already followers of Jesus. But some of you may be here today and you don't have a relationship with the Lord. Let let me just say it to you like this. In, In context of what we've been talking about, the greatest most desperate situation you find yourself in is the situation of sin that will ultimately condemn you to hell. But again, God, by his grace, wanting to display to you that he is a deliverer who can rescue you from sin's condemnation, sent his son Jesus to die in your place on the cross. Jesus died for you, he died for me. We ought to die for our sin, Jesus died for us. Then he was buried, and then he was resurrected. Now the scripture says if you'll turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus, you can be saved. You can be rescued. You can come into a relationship with the one who created you. So just this morning, right where you sit, if you say, man, I need to give my life to Jesus, let me encourage you to do that. You can pray something like this in your heart as I pray it out loud. And just pray something like this. Just say, Lord, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. Got up from the grave. The best way I know how this morning, I'm turning from my sin and putting my trust in you. Now help me to be unashamed of who you are. 
Now, with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, if that's the prayer of your heart, the first step of obedience is baptism. In just a moment, we're going to stand to our feet. We'll all sing a last song together. But if you prayed to receive Jesus, I want to invite you to leave the place where you've been seated. Walk right down here to the front, in front of this platform. There'll be pastors on either side. And just look at them and say, hey, I prayed with Levi this morning. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. Or perhaps this morning. You just need to find a place here in the altar and seek the Lord. And say, God, all right, I'm in a test. I've been trying to figure this thing out myself. I need your wisdom. You may need to find a place here just in the altar to pray. We had folks in the first service doing that, or perhaps you need to come to one of these pastors and just take them by the hand and say, hey, pray for me. You don't have to share all your stuff. You just say, I'm in a test. Pray that God would show himself to me. And I'm telling you, these guys would love to pray for you. Whatever, don't harden your heart to what God's trying to do in your life this morning. Father, we're always grateful for an opportunity to open up your word, and we pray in the name of Jesus that you'd speak to hearts and we give you this invitation and trust that you will. And that's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We sing together. You come this morning.